The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club, where a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I am deadly allergic to all forms of sailboat. And my name is Marguerite, and I'm a deadly allergen. Together we travel the world murdering robots to stop Jeff Bezos from building a robot army. And this week we are in redacted California on a secret mission that has something to do with Christmas. If by Christmas you mean explosions, then you are correct, Ruiz. And it's going to be an explosive Christmas. But the important thing is, it's a secret. Due to the NDA that we signed, Marguerite. Yep, the NDA. Never don't arson. The Bezos robot army won't know what's hit it until they realize it's fire and a collapsing roof. That's also on fire. But we're not here today to violate contract law. Because we're actually here to enjoy part one of our Jack Vance Christmas special featuring Chateau Deef from 1950. Ah, uh, good old 1950s. Not totally sexist at all. Well, it is Jack Vance who is among the worst offenders, <laughs> at least earlier in his career. Oof, yeah, until his wife got involved. He got better after that. So Chateau Deef does have a alternate title. But I can't tell you what the alternate title is until the end of part one. Because spoilers? Because spoilers. That's why it got retitled. The era in which our story takes place is the far future Earth. But it's a future where everybody is rich. Oh, I like this future. Uh, everybody's earthbound because there's no kind of rocket travel that's faster than light. Hmm. And there's a very large upper middle class. Basically, everyone's upper middle class or <laughs> upper upper middle class. And they're all kind of listless and don't quite know what to do with themselves. Because there's no competition. Exactly. Everything's wonderful and everyone is extremely dissatisfied about it. <laughs> Humans would be. So let's start with the opening sentences of Chateau Deef. The advertisement appeared on a telescreen commercial and a few days later at the side of the news fax. Ugh, still ads. Not cool. The copy was green on a black background, a modest rectangle among the oranges, reds, yellows. Ew. The punch was carried in the message. Jaded? Bored? Want adventure? Try the Chateau Deef. Our protagonist hero, with the awesome name of Roland Mario, <laughs> sits with his four best friends at a cafe, drinking liquor in the afternoon on a Tuesday. As one does. Yes, in the future. His friends are... Bro... No. B-R-E-A-U-G-H. It's Welsh. Bro. His name is Bro. Ugh. He's a calculator repairman. Is he? Also Janiver, an accountant. <laughs> Zare, the youngest in the group, whose eyes are gay as Valentine's. <laughs> Interesting description. And Ditmar, a well-paid television executive. Well, everyone's well-paid. Roland Mario looks at his friends and wonders how the five of them could be so identical in personality, yet still completely unique. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All of them are in their thirties, drinking and discussing the vicissitudes of life. As one does again. Bro expresses contempt for kids in their mid-twenties. <laughs> he would. Fresh out of school and rising through the ranks of various companies. 
while this merry band of men in their thirties have apparently peaked. Uh, yep, those old timers. Well, muttered Dittmar, maybe it's a good thing. Somebody's got to do our thinking for us. Wait, you hit 30 and you're like, I don't need to think anymore. They're leaving the thinking to 20-year-olds? <laughs> we're fed, we're clothed, we're educated, we work at soft jobs, and good liquor is cheap. That's all that life means for 99 out of 100. Wow. If only they'd take the hangover out of the liquor, sighed Zare. Oh, you gotta have some excitement to life. Liquor's a release from living, said Janiver somberly. <laughs> our sweet, sweet lives of leisure. Drunkenness is about the only adventure left. Drunkenness and death. Yes, said Bro. You could always show contempt for life by dying. <laughs> it's one way. Zare laughed. Whiskey or cyanide? Make mine whiskey. Yeah, agreed. Me too. So they order another round and play a game of dice to determine who's going to pay. Doesn't matter. Not really, no. <laughs> Bro sighs that for $20 million you can buy a planetary rocket and leave Earth on an adventure. What? Really? But once you leave Earth, there's only dead rocks to visit. Uh, that is true. Yeah, they can't leave the solar system. No, that'd be boring. That's when Dittmar says, there's always Chateau, the sun. The oh. Chateau Deep. <laughs> what, do you want to live in the sun? You want to blow up the sun? Oh, always. <laughs> Since the beginning of time, man has longed to destroy the Earth. Destroy the sun. <laughs> With hushed tones the group trades rumors wondering just what is chateau deef is it a new nightclub or a gathering club for adrenaline junkies is it a bordello a dope den <laughs> a dope den someone says maybe it's a haunted house but with real ghosts <laughs> wow this guy's thinking real far <laughs> rumors have been swirling for months before they started their advertising campaign last week it's secretive and expensive, but nobody knows what Chateau Deef is or how to contact the people who run it. You gotta be rich enough. They'll yep. contact you. you. Gotta have word of mouth. But they do know it's not a criminal enterprise, because otherwise the ACP, the Agency of Crime Prevention, would have already investigated it. Oh, sure, that's how that works. Dittmar seems to have a lead on how to find Chateau Deef. You know, being a well-paid television executive and all. Just be rich enough. So Bro nominates him to investigate. Dittmar has a better idea, saying they should dice for it. Whoever rolls the lowest number gets financed by the rest to find out what Chateau Deef is. Interesting. They bicker about how much to finance the winner, or perhaps loser. <laughs> and Seems likely. And decide on $2,000 each. That's it? For a total of 8000 towards the whole project. That's cheap. After some delightful banter and dice rolling, the lowest roll, the winner or possibly loser, is Zare, the youngest of the group with the gay eyes. <laughs> Just the eyes. Dittmar promises to find out more information, while Bro seems glad that he didn't roll the lowest dice. <laughs> Quote, There's already adventure in my life, taking care of seven cats. There you go, that's enough for me. Quite a futile existence. The cats love it. <laughs> We're living a life men have dreamed of living ever since they first dreamed. Food, leisure, freedom. We don't know when we're well off. Nope, that's humans. The next day the group meets on the patio and Dittmar arrives last, armed with all the knowledge that they need about Chateau Deef. It exists. He says there's two levels for those interested in enrolling. Level A costs $10 million. And they only put together $8,000. And level B costs 10000 Oh, okay. 
But because Dittmar is a television executive and has some contacts, namely his boss, apparently Chateau Deef is willing to settle for 8000 Hmm. This isn't going to go well. Dittmar gives Zare a business card for Chateau Deef with an address scrawled on the back, saying to present the card in order to get admitted, and that he hopes that Zare isn't a secret ACP agent, because that means he might lose his job, because his boss gave him the referral. Hmm. But Zare's not interested in joking around. He's actually quite scared by the uncertainty of where he's going mm -hmm. and what he's about to do. So the group agrees that whatever Zare does and wherever he goes, he should report to them when he's free. <laughs> Obviously. And in the meantime, the group will meet here every Tuesday and Friday at 3 in the afternoon, drinking oh, and waiting for him. Beautiful. Weekday drinking. I oh, love it. Zare leaves, nervous as fuck. The group waits for his report for one week, two weeks. Three weeks. Oh, no. But he doesn't show. Uh-uh. On the third week, however, Janiver admits he actually saw Zare that day at the Atlantic Empire Hotel, an expensive-looking woman on his arm. Oh, my. So you see, Janiver's an accountant and does some accountaneering for the hotel. Mm-hmm. That's which, what it's called. Which means that he murders people, because I saw that movie. Uh, that movie gave us accountants a bad name. You're an accountant? Nope. Marguerite? And I'm definitely not an assassin either. <laughs> <laughs> Zare didn't see Janiver, but Janiver saw him and confirmed it was him, registered under his very own name. So the whole group decides to head to the hotel immediately. <laughs> to find someone who clearly doesn't want to be found. The Atlantic Empire Hotel is one of the most expensive in the city. Quote, Massive and elegant, equipped with every known device for feeding, bathing, comforting, amusing, <laughs> flattering, relaxing, stimulating massaging of the men and women able to afford the price. Mm -hmm. So there's like a base level of luxury and then there's a more luxury? Oh yes. Hmm. Even the most casual visitors are brushed by valets upon entering, the lint removed from their clothing, and women are offered corsages. Corsages? Yes, the moment they enter. Oh, yeah. Even the most casual. Ooh, what luxury. Yay. I love corsages. How could you not? Nyeh. Bro despises the ultra-rich, calling them parasites for living their lives of luxury while the rest of the world works. <laughs> well, drinking in the middle of weekdays. Yeah, I guess they work around 20 hours a week, so he's pretty uh, unhappy. Uh, my life sucks. I have to work part-time and I'm upper middle class. <laughs> Dithmar says at least the ultra-rich are having fun. But Bro says they're stuck on Earth like everyone else. No place to go and no adventures left. Dittmar suggests that they can always go to the Empyrean Tower, a ziggurat three miles high that's still being built, which is even more fabulous than the Atlantic Empire Hotel. So, I don't know if you know this. It might be a spoiler. But uh, what about the, the, like, rules? Is there, like, very strict rules about, say, murder? Or using other humans as prey? Um, yeah, this isn't an alien night situation. <laughs> uh, everyone seems quite... But as soon as humans get bored, they immediately go to like, you know what we need to do, hunt other humans. I'm sure there is some, but that's not covered in the story. Mm. Regretfully. Maybe it's just uh, like taken for granted. That seems like Like you just got to assume that's what's <laughs> happening. So the group argues about wealth inequality for a few pages. Which, to be noted, is not as bad as our current situation today in our current world. But then they hit up the front desk to ask after Zare. 
The receptionist calls his room, but there's no answer, and then remembers that Zare went to the Mana Hiva, a room full of trees and plants in a vaguely South Pacific theme. The group heads there to find Zare with a woman watching a 3D projection of a ballet. Ooh. It's like 3D TV and the ballet's live. Lovely. When they say hello, Zare has no idea who any of them are. And he ah. seems to be completely bewildered and completely honest in his bewilderment. Is he a clone? Bro asks, ever heard of Chateau Deef? Dittmar reminds Zare of the $8,000 they all invested in him. No, that's why he can't remember them. <laughs> Zare says... You believe I owe you $8,000? He shrugs, pulls out his wallet, and counts out eight $1,000 bills, <laughs> handing them to Dittmar and saying, quote, There you are, gentlemen. Whatever it's for, I'm sure I don't know. Maybe I was drunk. Anyway. <laughs> Wish I was that rich. <laughs> anyway, now you're satisfied, and I hope you'll be good enough to leave. Roland Mario asks if this is all Zare's going to give them, saying that they acted in good faith when they made the investment. Zare only looks at Roland coldly and replies he just gave $8,000 to four strangers in his own act of good faith. Also, he missed his favorite part of the ballet that he was hoping for. Oh no! He can just rewind it. Oh no, it's live. <laughs> Bro pulls Roland away and the group leaves, confused and a bit disturbed. This isn't suspicious at all. Quote, Soberly, they sat at a table in an unpretentious tavern, drinking beer. Those are my favorite kinds of taverns. I like how they're drinking beer, and it says soberly, but it won't be sober for long. Soberly drinking beer. <laughs> for a while, none of the four spoke, but Roland Mario pipes up at last to declare, if that's what $8,000 buys at Chateau d'If, I'll volunteer. <laughs> a memory wipe, and then you become rich. <laughs> Bro strikes his fist on the table and shouts, it's not reasonable, it violates logic. <laughs> it kind of doesn't. Your logic, Dittmar pointed out. <laughs> your logic. Bro cocked his head sideways. What's yours? I haven't any. <laughs> Bro goes through the facts of the case, saying, Zare was broke a month ago, or almost so. We gave him $8,000. He goes to the Chateau d'If. He comes out, takes a suite at the Atlantic Empire, shoves money at us by the fistful. The only place he could have got it is Chateau d'If. So almost broke is still upper middle class. That's still quite a bit of money. Well, yeah, I mean, Zare was compared out there drinking to, I, on the afternoon with them. I guess compared to, like, billionaires, being a millionaire feels poor. Roland says that the chateau sounds good, if that's what it does for you. I've got $8,000 here, Dittmar proclaims. As far as I'm concerned, it's all yours, if you want to take on Zare's assignment. And actually, perhaps, report what happens this time. Bro and Janiver shrug, totally fine with Roland Mario being the next guinea pig. <laughs> Quote, Mario toyed with the idea. His life was idle, useless. He dabbled in architecture, played handball, slept, and ate. Mm, sounds great. A pleasant but meaningless existence. I'm on my way now, he decides. Give me the 8,000 before I change my mind. Dittmar hands over the cash and says they want a full report when he's able to give it. And like before, we'll be on the Oxonian Terrace every Tuesday and Friday at 3, drinking and waiting for him. <laughs> every Friday. These people have nice lives. Very and, pleasant. And Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday drinking is best drinking. No, Monday drinking is best drinking. Oh, that's true. Screw you, Monday. Be seeing you, Roland says as he strolls away. Be seeing you. Dittmar shook his head. I doubt it. Exactly. Bro agrees, saying, <gasps> I doubt it too. <laughs> 
And so Roland heads across town to the address he remembered from the business card that he doesn't have in his possession. Hmm. 5600 Exmoor. It's a featureless gray brick of a building, described as not precisely dilapidated, but evidently unloved and uncared for. Aww. He walks to the front door and rings the doorbell. After a moment, the door slides open, and Roland strolls down the hall into a reception room with green and brown walls and leather furniture. A beautiful young woman walks in, her features cold and impersonal. She gives him a brief interrogation, name, age, occupation, writing down all his answers before asking, what do you want here? <laughs> this is the Chateau d'If. Yes. I'm a customer. I'm a friend of Pete Zares. He was here a couple weeks ago. He seems to have done pretty well for himself, mm. observed Mario cheerfully. She writes a few more notes before saying, This is a business operated for profit. We are interested in money. <laughs> Aren't we all? How much do you have to spend? I'd like to know what you have to sell, Roland replies. Fair enough. Adventure. That's all I need to know. Here's my money. When Roland presses her for more information, she declares, We offer two classes of service. The first we value at $10 million. It is cheap at that price, but it is the dullest and least stirring of the two. <laughs> totally worth it. The situation over which you have some control. Ah, I see. The second we value at $10,000, and this produces the most extreme emotions with the minimum of immediate control on your part. Oh, we get to do whatever we want to you for $10,000. She asks him how much he has to spend, and after Roland fails at flirting with her, admits that he has $8,000. Oh, so not enough. She leads him through the next door to an office where a magnificently handsome young man sits behind a desk. Of course. He introduces himself as Mervyn Allen. Ah, that's a sexy name. And the girl, who he refers to as Thane... Woman. ...says that Roland has $8,000. Can't keep going on 8000 a night, grumbled Mervyn Allen. People keep offering me $8,000. I don't know why. Roland sits down and replies, The adventure business must have tremendous expense. Sure does. Oh no, said Allen, with wide, candid eyes. To the contrary. The operators have tremendous avarice. We try to average 20 million a day profit. <laughs> Occasionally, we can't make it. Wow. Pardon me for annoying you with car fare, said Mario. If you don't want it, I'll keep it. <laughs> As you please, Alan replies. Roland seems surprised and says, The receptionist told me 10 million buys the dullest of your services, and 10,000 something fairly wild. What do I get for nothing? Vivisection? Yes. Alan smiled. No, you're entirely safe with us. That is to say, you suffer no physical pain, you emerge alive. Ah, uh, yeah, psychological damage. So much psychological damage. Psychological vivisection. Yeah. Roland replies that he still hasn't learned any details of what's about to happen to him. Yeah, you gotta pay ten million for that. <laughs> and Alan says he could leave at any time. When he doesn't, Alan then proceeds with a full psychiatric examination hooking Roland up to a future lie detector device. See how easy it's going to damage him. When he asks Roland his occupation, he says, Architect. At least, I dabble at it. Design dog houses and rabbit hutches for oh my, my friends. Oh my god, that's not an architect. <laughs> the questions continue. Roland says he was born in Buenos Aires, has a brother who works in the coffee business, and has never been married. He's never held any government jobs because he hates bureaucracy. Don't we all? And he came to Chateau d'If due to boredom, repressed energy, and a lack of anything to fight against. Simply put, he wants a challenge. 
Following a few more questions, he admits that he and his friends rolled dice, and Pete Zare lost, but wouldn't speak to them after leaving the chateau. Alan nods, saying, We ask that our customers keep our secrets. If there were no mystery, we would have no customers. After a bit more banter, Alan hands Roland the contract. He reads it and says, This sounds pretty tough, but all you can't do is kill me. Correct, said Alan. A very ominous contract. But we can break your mind. <laughs> Alan agrees that it's ominous. <laughs> if I had any sense, said Mario, I'd get up and walk out. Yep. Suit yourself. What do you do with all the money? Mervyn Allen relaxed in his chair, his hands behind his blonde head, and says, We're building the Imperian Tower. That's no secret. But it is news to Roland, who's surprised to learn about the link between the chateau and the three-mile-high ziggurat. Hmm. He asks why they're building the tower, and Alan says for the same reason Roland is here. Boredom and a challenge. Sure, why not? Roland asks if Alan himself has been through the adventure offered by the chateau, and Alan narrows his eyes before admitting, yes, I have. You ask lots of questions. Too many. <laughs> Here's the contract. Sign it or tear it up. I can't give you any more time. So Roland counts up the money, and Alan inspects him with curiosity, saying our customers fall pretty uniformly into three groups. Reckless young men just out of adolescence, jaded old men in search of new kinds of vice, and police snoopers. <laughs> you don't seem to fit, Mario said with a shrug. Average the first two. I'm <laughs> reckless, jaded, and 29. Oh, still in his 20s. This way, please, Alan says. Roland's led to a chamber filled with plants. He walks through the ferns and the palms and the mints and the flowers, the smell of the plants growing stronger with each step, until the smell overpowers him, and Roland Mario can't help but fall to the ground and drift off to sleep. Ha, they drugged him. The end. Of the story. Of the entire story. Mm, wow, that was so exciting. Chapter four! <laughs> Mario awakes. Awokes. Mario wakes up. Awakens, awakens. Mario awakenings himself. Sitting at a bench in Tanagra Square. A loaf of bread in his hand. Ooh, is he a homeless person there? Peacocks peck at the bread. Peacocks? And he looks down at his hand. And it's gone. Quote, it was a fat, pudgy hand. Ooh, he's someone else. The arm was encased in hard gray fiber. No suit he owned was gray. The arm was short. The legs were short. His belly was large. He licked his lips. They were pulpy, thick. Mm. He was Roland Mario inside the brain, but the body was someone else. Ooh, da, da, da. He sat quite still. The peacocks pecked at the bread. He threw it away. His arm was stiff, strangely heavy. Roland Mario stands and almost loses his balance, grabbing at the bench to steady himself. <laughs> he feels through his pockets and finds a note that reads, quote, Memorize the following, as this paper will disintegrate in approximately five minutes. Sure. You are embarking on the life you paid for. Your name is Ralston Ebery. Your age is 56. You are married to Florence Ebery, age 50. Your home address is 19 Seafoam Place. You have three children. Luther, age 25. Ralston Jr., age 23. And Clydia, age 19. <laughs> it's a normal sounding name. Sure is. You are a wealthy manufacturer of aircraft, the Every Air Car. Your bank is the African Federal. The passbook is in your pocket. When you sign your name, do not consciously guide the hand. Let the involuntary muscles write out the signature, Ralston Every. I could not remember all that stuff. If you dislike your present form, you may return to the Chateau d'If. 
Ten million dollars will buy you a body of your choice. Oh, I see, yeah. The paper goes on to say that if you contact the police, you will be permanently marooned in this body. <laughs> oh, no. And it's not like he has any evidence of what actually happened anyway. So basically, if you give them, let's say, $8,000, they put you in a schlub. Even 10000 they put you in a schlub. Mm-hmm. The end of the note is also our final words of part one <laughs> of Chateau d'If. Quote, With your business opportunities, $10 million is a sum well within your reach. When you have it, return to Chateau d'If for a young and healthy body. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have fulfilled our bargain with you. We have given you adventure. Wow. With skill and ingenuity, you will be able to join the group of men without age, eternally young. Oh, I see. Yeah, they just keep popping bodies. Yeah, and that is the end of part one of Chateau d'If. Technically, if you just keep coming up with $10 million, you can live forever. That's right. And now we learn the original title for this story, mm -hmm. New Bodies for Old. Oh, wow, that is a spoiler. Which is why it was retitled, yes. So, tune in next week to find out what happens to Roland Mario, also known as Ralston Ebery. Great things, I bet. I think he really enjoys it and everything goes really well for him. I think he's going to become a telemarketing host. I think he's going to become a radio DJ. I think he's going to become a used car salesman. <laughs> I think he's going to become an uh, apiary attendant. I think he's going to become a famous politician who likes going in blackface. <laughs> wow. You pay the $10 million for that. Ha. Jack Vance is our favorite author, without whom we would not be married. It's true. And thus we reach the end of part one. This has been the Everett Book Club. Visit us at our website. EverettBookClub.com Or email us, EverettBookClub at Hotmail.com. Also visit our Instagram. So, Marguerite, what do you want for Christmas this year? It's a good question. I want 12 exploding robots. 11 processors frying. 10 decapitations. 9 limbs dismembered. 8 defenestrations. 7 Molotov cocktails. 6 grenades launching. 5 fewer robots. 4 boxes of napalm. 357. 2 bullets per head. And a completely annihilated robot army. To the mission! Tune in next week. Unless the robots win, and they won't. Cripes, I hope not. <laughs>